You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Man, such a good song. I'm going to grab a seat, enjoying being in worship with y'all. Uh, we're going to continue our series, The Book, this morning. But before we get going, uh, I want to quickly take a moment. I mentioned last week that I last week had used the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, and um, I even made a, sh- a short little video this week on Instagram just kind of talking about it. But I want to give a little clarity on the transition. This is not a huge deal, but just in case you're curious. So I, for about 12 years, have used the English Standard Version, the ESV, and still love it. It's incredible. I have a lot of scripture memorized in ESV, and so I probably will never be able to fully step away from it. Um, but let me tell you real quick why I'm, I'm liking this ESV, and I'm going to start using it from, from the pulpit or from preaching. Um, so in a tra- Bible translation, you have form, what they call formal equivalence, and they have what they call more thought-for-thought thought or dynamic equivalence. And typically, in our tradition in Baptist faith, we typically lean towards the more formal word for word, literal translation, because there's less room for human interpretation, right? You just say it word for word as is. But the reality is word for word doesn't always mean more accurate if it's, if it's confusing, right? Does that make sense? Like if I, if I tell you something exactly as my wife told it to me, but you don't understand what I'm saying, then that's not helpful, right? So we like word for word, but sometimes thought for thought can be helpful. What I like about the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, is they use what they call optimal equivalence. So as often as they can, in as many situations as they can, the translators, from the, when they're translated from Greek in, or Hebrew into English and Greek into English, they use a word-for-word more formal translation. But in those instances where they're not very, not very many, but in those instances where the translation word-for-word was just really wooden and choppy and hard to understand, they used a more thought-for-thought translation so it's a little smoother. And so I appreciate that, of still sticking with that more formal word-for-word equivalence, but also occasionally using more thought-for-thought for smoothness of reading. One other thing I like about it is it's a little updated vocabulary. So for example, in the book of Job, I think it's in Job one or two, when he's sitting in the ashes, you remember he's lost everything and he's scraping himself. And it says, the ESV says he was scraping himself with a potsherd. And I remember the few times I've preached that passage, I always would get to that word potsherd and think, I'm not sure what that is. (laughs) But just kind of glance over it, assuming I knew a context. Well, potsherd means broken piece of pottery. Well, the CSB trying to use a little more updated vocabulary, instead of saying he was scraping himself with a potsherd, it says he was scraping himself with a broken piece of pottery, which is exactly what a potsherd is. So I appreciate uh, the updated vocabulary there. Still, ESV, incredible, NASB, love that. So like the, uh, not the TNIV, but the NIV. Um, My wife told me the other day, she said, well, Brandon, she said it in love and with a smile on her face. She said, you can be excited about the CSB and use it I do not need another Bible, I will be using my ESV. And I was like, yes, (laughs) ma'am. So I say that to say, seriously, do not feel like you need to change, not feel like you need to do what I'm doing. I just wanna let you know why I was transitioning. It's not that big of a difference. Honestly, typically, if you read the ESV and CSB side by side, I've done that a lot lately, and they're pretty hard to see the difference because they're very, very similar. So with that said, y'all ready to get in the word? Awesome. Before we do that, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your people. 
and the opportunity to, to be together, to be reminded of wonderful gospel truths as we sing songs, but also to, to dig into your word. God, thank you for the hunger that I see in our people to, to know you and to see you in your word, to hear from you. And we pray that this morning you would do that. And Lord, would you just this morning, maybe through an unexpected passage, give us a fresh reminder of the power of the gospel and what the gospel message actually is. Well, for those that, that don't know you this morning, that have maybe not quite understood the gospel, that you would give them a real understanding of the good news of Jesus that would turn their life upside down. It's in your powerful name we pray, amen. We're gonna be in the book of Hosea this morning. So in our series, it's kind of three at one, Hosea, Joel, Amos. We're gonna be strictly in Hosea. And so if you would, go ahead and turn there. Feel free to use the table of contents. I've been saying this lately, there's seriously no shame in looking that up. And so uh, feel free to, to use that if you need to. We're gonna be in Hosea chapter one in just a moment. And as you're turning there, let, let me ask you this question. Uh, do you guys, remember, I don't think people say this today, but do you remember what a DTR is? Uh, yeah, I got some hands up. So again, I don't think students, to, people don't say this today, right? Like uh, maybe some, oh, okay. I'm getting, I'm getting mixed messages here. A DTR means define the relationship. So I remember, um, I, I maybe more so feel like I heard this when I was in seminary, so how was I, like 21, 22? Um, and people, if they were in a, dating relationship, they would say we need to have a DTR, like we need to define the relationship, define where we're at. And if you're not still tracking with me, I'll give you an example. Um, one time as, as a student pastor, I was talking with a student and uh, he was in middle school and he said, man, I feel like, I think, <laughs> I think me and my girlfriend broke up today. Or, no, no, he said, sorry. He said, I think we may be breaking up soon, me and my girlfriend. I was like, dude, why do you think you and your girlfriend are going to break up soon? And he said, well, she saw me today at the track because we were walking on the track and she came up to me and she was like, I won't say his name, but she was like, hey bud, um, we need to break up. <laughs> and so I said, hey buddy, I don't think you're fixing to break up. You're broke up. <laughs> it's over, man, I'm sorry. She had given him a DTR. She had defined the relationship that we're not going further anymore. It was over. Sometimes an image can define the relationship. So if you like it, should have put a, Ring on it. Don't act like you don't know that song, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, if you like it, you should have put a ring on it. If a ring, as a man presents a, uh, an engagement ring to a woman, it's a, it's a defining moment in the relationship, right? Yeah. Some of you men may need to speed things up. I don't know. You know, if God's speaking to you right now, just listen, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a defining moment. Or you could pull Michael Scott and you, you meet a girl, you've known her for one hour and then you decide to make her a mixtape that says, welcome to Lubbock slash I love you. <laughs> and your friends are like, bro, you've known her for one hour. Like, calm down, right? Um, there are images that can define a relationship. So maybe even flowers, right? Or uh, bringing, uh, maybe you meet a new special someone at work and so you surprise them with their favorite cup of coffee or whatever. Images can define a relationship. Uh, let me ask you, I know we come from all different situations in this room and different walks of life or different spots in our life. And I want you to answer out loud, though I love it when you answer out loud, but not for this one. 
you could think about where your relationship with God is right now. If you were to have a DTR with God, how is it? Where is your relationship with God right now? The interesting thing about the book of Hosea, Hosea was a a prophet, so he was sent by God to speak primarily to the people of God. So let me... Let me not gloss over that. Hosea was sent primarily to speak to the people of God. So not those pagan nations over there that don't know anything about God. No, to the people of God, to the people who are supposed to know God and have a deep relationship with him. That's who he was talking to. And Hosea, we're gonna see, God used Hosea to give his people a very, very clear, unmistakable, unforgettable DTR image. What's cool is I think you're gonna see as we we read through the text this morning, I'll kind of, we'll be patient with it, but I think you're gonna see that their DTR may be helpful for us as well this morning. So if you would, we're gonna jump in 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 chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah and Jeroboam, sons of Jehoash, king of Israel. Just a little context that Hosea actually gives there in in chapter one, verse one. He's coming to prophesy, to speak to the people at a time that was one of the most, following one of the most prosperous and peaceful times in the nation of of Israel, it was some, some scholars refer to it as a golden age because things were so good. Now, let me ask you, typically, when things are going really, really well and things are going really, really great, do people, do God's people have a tendency to get closer when things are fine and going really well? Or do we have a tendency to drift? We have a tendency to drift, right? Maybe at first when things are good, you're like, thank you, God, but over time, you feel like you need him less and less. It's interesting. Chapter two, or sorry, chapter one, verse two. We're gonna dive, it gets serious real quick. (laughs) When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity. Why? For the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Now, I think the CSB saying promiscuity gets it right and that that's a word we are more familiar with. But the ESV and the King James may give a little more gut punch when it says, go and marry a woman of whoredom. Just we're not mixing words there. Like that's, that's what's going on here. So, some scholars just like are debate, is, was she actually a prostitute or was she just a promiscuous woman? I don't know that necessarily matters as much as she was, she was a promiscuous woman. By the way, I, get, I sent out a parent email, so I don't feel like I have to hold back too much today, but so just to be straight, she was, she was a whore, to be real straight. I'm not trying to be edgy. If you got a problem, talk to God, okay? <laughs> He's being pretty edgy there. <laughs> have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord, land, not like the land, the dirt, the grass. No, the people of the land, Israel, are abandoning the Lord. So if, if you know the context, familiar with the Old Testament, they were worshiping the, the false god, the idol, Baal. 
So they were turning from the one true God to worship a false God. They were, instead of relying on God as their king, as their provider, they were turning to foreign nations, hoping that, hoping, excuse me, that those foreign nations would provide what only God could provide, that they would be their protector rather than God would be their protector. So how is that for a DTR? Not some roses, not a ring. God gives the people an image and he says, just so we're clear here, Hosea represents who? God, yeah. Hosea the prophet represents God. Gomer, the promiscuous woman, represents who? God's people, yeah, Israel. Kind of reminds me of my buddy from middle school, like, things aren't going well, bro. <laughs> it's not going well. He says, Hosea, you're gonna marry Gomer as a demonstration of what our relationship is like, what my relationship is like with my people, that I'm faithful to them, I love them. If you read through the book of Hosea, I provide for them, I care for them, but it's like my people don't even know I exist. They're just going to the next thrill, the next thing that will make them happy, whatever the flavor of the month is, they could care less about being faithful to me. They just are in for whatever can make them feel good. So that's what's our relationship it's like. So believe it or not, text says that Hosea obeyed God. It says, so he went and married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, name him Jezreel. For in a little while, I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in Jezreel Valley. So Jezreel was even known as a place of bloodshed. And, and even it means, it means God sows. So God is saying as they name their first child or God names their first child Jezreel, he's saying, you're gonna reap what you have sown. And I, I'm gonna sow and you're gonna reap judgment. Judgment, difficulty, punishment is coming because you've abandoned me. Verse five, he says, on that day, I will break the bow of Israel. It's, it's a symbol of defeat. You're gonna be defeated. Verse six, she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. By the way, you could, there's argument on, are all these children's Hosea's, which seems a fair question if she was going around sleeping around with a lot of men. I don't know if that's the point as much as now Hosea is taking them in as his own children and as she's a promiscuous woman, and God's giving them a name. God says to name her Lo Ruhama, which means no compassion. And he says, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. I will certainly take them away, but I will have compassion on the house of Judah and I will deliver them by the Lord their God. I will not deliver them by bow, sword, or war, or by horses and cavalry. So, Quick thought, I think seven could be, verse seven could be confusing. He's saying, Judah, because they've not abandoned me and forsaken me and, quote, prostituted themselves out like Judah has, or sorry, like Israel has. He says, Judah, they're not getting their judgment yet. Their time's gonna come later as you keep reading scripture, but I'm not ready for them yet. Israel, he says, I'm not gonna have compassion on them. Man, think about that as a father, like not having compassion on your kid. That's the DTR that God is having here of, man, you're, you're like 
My people, it's like they don't even know me. They prostitute themselves out. There's gonna be judgment. How can I have compassion on them when they just want nothing to do with me? And then he gives them one more DTR with a third child. Verse eight, after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people and I will not be your God. He's laying it on, isn't he? So first, the relationship is broken because you're sleeping around with all these other people is what it's like. Judgment's coming, I'm not gonna have compassion. And I don't even know you anymore. That's what God is saying to his people. It's, it's like we don't even have a relationship because of what you're doing. If you read, again, we don't have time to, to dig into the entire book of Hosea. If you read it, it all confirms the very first DTR image that he gives of Hosea to go and marry Gomer. When you think about the, the image of a, a husband and a wife and a marriage, what's the one key word there? You could talk about commitment and those things, but love, love. When you think about a, a, a husband and a wife, there needs to be love, Right? God could have chose so many other images to use with his people as a quote DTR. But by using the image of a husband and a wife, what is he telling his people? What was he telling Israel? He's saying the problem is you don't love me. Do you see that? Could have picked a billion images. <laughs> he picked a husband and a wife because the problem is love. It's like in, I don't do a whole lot of it, but in like marriage counseling and things, if, if, a, if a spouse is cheating on their spouse and running around and doesn't seem repentant of it, it's a totally fair question to say, do, do, you, do you love him or her? Like what's going on here, right? That's not like a crazy question. That's a totally fair question. Do, do you even love them? Because your actions sure seem like you don't. I'm gonna guess that the DTR that God gave Hosea to give the people by marrying Gomer just might fit for a lot of us in here. I think similar to Israel in that day, we, we kinda in the States have, have lived and still live in a golden age of things are good, right? I get, like, I get we don't all love where we're at right now, for sure, and for good reason. But generally speaking, compared with the rest of the world, we got it pretty good. Can we, can we agree with that? Thank you. <laughs> and the temptation with that is we more and more depend and love ourselves and the things the world can give than we do God. Right? Find satisfaction in... Bless you, our, sorry, focus. Find satisfaction in, or try to find satisfaction, I could say, I should say, in a hobby, hobbies aren't bad. Try to find satisfaction in our job, jobs aren't bad. Try to find satisfaction, fulfillment, love in another person, other people are great. But the problem is, God is not interested in sharing your love and affection. 
in the same way that I'm not interested in sharing my wife's love and affection with you, right? Like if Lauren comes to me, hey Brandon, I'm thinking about like sleeping around a little bit and spreading some love. <laughs> Someone's about to die, right? I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's not, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Don't want to go there in my brain. In my brain. My brain. <laughs> my brain. God is not interested in having employees to show up, clock in for church, you're good. No, God wants your heart. God is not going to put up with rival affections. He's bigger, he's better than anything or anyone and he demands all of your allegiance, all of your heart. And yes, we are to enjoy the things, the good gifts he's given us, like a job, like a hobby, like a marriage, but we are to enjoy God and all things and all things in God. But the reality is we are prone, as the old hymn says, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love, prone to be satisfied with the call of lovers less wild. Meaning, it's the old C.S. Lewis idea of we're content with playing in the mud puddle when God is inviting us into the ocean, right? David's gonna come up, David Maddox, and I'm not done yet, so don't get too excited. Um, But he's gonna sing a song that is... I believe very much taken from Hosea 1. Like it's, it's slightly a little edgy, but not for the sake of being edgy, for the sake of talking about what the Bible's talking about. And I'm gonna invite you not to sing along, but to think of this as a confession of how God demands and deserves our whole heart's love, but so often we, we love other lesser things. Listen to this song.
Anybody else guilty? And we treat God that way, don't we? I just have now and then I'll put on, my, put on my ring, worship God. We treat our following of him like it's as simple, though ladies, I know it's not that simple, but as simple as throwing on a wedding dress and running down the aisle and then just to go and run somewhere else. We all too often want to have one hand in a pot of gold, whatever that may be, that we try to find joy and satisfaction is satisfaction in while the other hand in his side. It's who we are. If you're sitting there and you're kind of like, man, I feel like I'm pretty terrible. God has you right where he wants you. See, that's the whole point of Hosea from a whole Bible Christian perspective, this side of the cross, is that we are totally undeserving, completely undeserving of God's love. Yet knowing fully who we are, like Hosea, God chose to come into relationship with us and pursue us. See, the gospel, believe it or not, is actually right in the middle of Hosea chapter one in a three-letter word. At the end of verse nine, it says, "'Then the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, "'for you are not my people and I will not be your God.'" Verse 10 yet or but, so though this is who you are, though you are like a promiscuous woman, a whore, though you have no love for me and you're always running to the next thing to try to find satisfaction, you have no commitment, you are unlovely and do not deserve my grace or my love, yet, says the number of the Israelites will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. And in the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And the Judeans and the Israelites will be gathered together. They will appoint for themselves a single ruler and go up from the land. For the day of Jezreel will be great. Call your brothers my people and your sisters compassion. Now look, not all of this has been fulfilled yet, but the idea is that God would bring restoration to his people. He would bring them back to himself. If you look over in chapter three, verse one, you see that Gomer, like Israel, continued to run away, or I should say this way, Israel, like Gomer, continued to run away from God, but God continued to pursue her. That's why in chapter three, verse one, God tells Hosea, go again. Show compassion to her, show love to her, because that is the heart of God that ultimately points us to the greatest place we see the heart of God, which was where? At the cross of Jesus Christ. Wait, you're trying to connect Hosea and the gospel? Absolutely. What does Romans 5, 8 say? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's another three-letter word in the New Testament. The wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death, hell, condemnation. But 
The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Listen, <laughs> the, the response this morning is to see the gospel. That we are wicked and deserving of hell and unworthy. We are flawed and we are not worthy. We are not worthy of anything but hell and condemnation and separation from God. And that's what makes the gospel beautiful. Not because like God was like, you know what, you're kind of messed up, but you're kind of cute. No, (laughs) when you do that, you elevate yourself and you bring down God's love. When you're like, yeah, but there, there was something he saw in me. No, you and me are worthless and unlovely, but yet God in his incredible love, as low as we are said, you know what, I still love you because my love is unfathomable. His love is bigger and better than anything. I love the way a gentleman named Thomas Edward McKimsky said this. He said, the prophecy of Hosea is a tapestry of grace. As the prophet loved a woman whose crudeness and brazenness must have hurt him deeply, so God's grace comes to his people in their unloveliness. Our spiritual condition is never so low that God cannot woo and receive us back to himself as Hosea received Gomer. You are never too far gone for the love of God. Not because there's always a little good in you, but because his love is always bigger and better. <laughs> Why? Why is that such a big deal? Why is understanding the gospel that big a deal? That like understanding that, man, I'm just broken. There's nothing good in me. And it's just all God's love for me, though I don't deserve it. Why is that such a big deal? Because if you... If your understanding of the gospel is based on this idea that, well, I'm kind of lovely, I'm kind of worthy, then on the days when you totally royally mess up and blow it, what are you gonna do then? Oh, I, guess, I guess God's upset with me. I guess he's kind of upset with me. Maybe he doesn't love me. I need to get back right. No, even at your worst, he still loves you to the point of death on the cross. Amen. That's the gospel. Anything besides that is paganism. Well, when I do good, then he'll love me. Get that mess out of here. That's not Christianity. Christianity is he loves you at your best and he loves you at your complete worst. And scripture says that your best is actually filthy rags to him. Think about that. God, I'm pretty worthy. I'm pretty awesome. He's like, ugh, gross. He loves you not because you're lovable. He loves you because he is a God of love. And scripture does tell us that his kindness leads us to Repentance. So as a believer this morning, the call is first to see the beauty of the gospel that you are not beautiful in any shape or form, but he loves you to see that, to revel in that, and to let that lead you to repentance. That's exactly what happened in the book of Hosea. I don't have time to go through it all, but if you read chapter two, the way that God was gonna bring his people back to them was not by, you guys better figure it out, you better get it right. He was gonna pursue them, and as they saw his love, they would be drawn back to him. The best way for you to stir your affection for the Lord and to repent from idols and turn to him is to realize that he loved you first. To know that he is pursuing you, that his heart is relentless and he won't stop. That your fickleness is no match for his faithfulness. That your problems are no match for his pursuit of you. That your wicked heart is no match for his wild love. And when you see that kind of love, to run to him and realize nothing else could satisfy like the love of Jesus Christ, amen? But to know that he is, he's all you need. 
So to see the gospel, to know it, and let that lead you to repentance, to say, why am I wasting time with lovers so less wild? Why don't I run to him? That's the call to believers this morning. What's really cool, I'll finish with this. Some of you this morning, you're, you're not a Christian because you feel like you've had this understanding of Christianity that, well, if I'm good enough, I do these right things, maybe then God will like want a relationship with me. Like not to be utterly cheesy, but like just to keep with the idea of, of Jose and Gomer, like the cross of Jesus Christ proves that he's already like said, hey, I know you're not lovely and no one's ever asked you out before because you have nothing to offer and you're not worthy of God's love. But the cross proves that Jesus is saying, hey, if you'll take my love, I would like to come into a relationship with you. Will you quote, marry me? And, he, and he's waiting for you to say yes. Some of you this morning, God is drawing you to himself. Maybe as, I, even as I'm speaking, you're realizing, man, yes, I am a mess, but his love overshadows that and overcomes that. And it can be forgiven in the cross of Jesus. Would you simply this morning, as we sing, would you just respond to him by saying, yes, God, I believe in you. I, I recognize that I'm a mess, but I believe that you died for my sins and offer me forgiveness and hope and love. And you call me to follow you and for you to be the Lord of my life and to rule and reign over my life. And Jesus, I'm ready to do that. I surrender to you. Man, if you do that this morning, we would love to know about that and talk with you and pray with you. We're gonna sing a song here in just a second that just proclaims the absolute wonder, wondrous love of God, even though we don't deserve it. And as we do sing that, uh, my friend Jack's gonna be down front and also my friend Tony will be down front. And if you would like to pray with somebody, love some encouragement, wanna talk through a little more about what it means to trust Christ, they'll be here and ready to talk with you. But if you're a believer, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and stand, or actually all of us, I'm gonna ask you to stand right now and as we sing this song, you would revel in the love of God and let that lead you to turn to him in repentance. God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us and despite our unworthiness, despite our unloveliness. God, I pray that as we sing this song, maybe as believers, we would have a better understanding and just um, embrace of the gospel that is totally dependent on your love, that we, the only thing that we <laughs> provide to our own salvation is what makes it necessary, and that's our sin. <laughs> As Jonathan Edwards said, God, and that we would just revel in your love. And God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself for salvation this morning. May we respond in repentance and love for you. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 